Hello and welcome to Cinema to the Letter. This episode, it's that new film known as Another Round. Cinema to the Letter, we break down the very nature of cinema, letter by letter. For each episode of a film in the series topic, we cover six films that fit a C for classic, I for indie, N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, and A for atypical. Because who doesn't love an acronym, am I right? I am Thomas, and I'll tell you when I've had enough. <laughs> oh, hello. I am Brian, and I think I would do really well in the, uh, in the lake race, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, we all we all tried at some point, you know. You just running gotta... around a lake with the, right. what, like six other people. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, but welcome everybody uh, to Cinema to the Letter, where uh, we are reaching the midway point of our uh, Oscar season, uh, our one one Oscar season specifically, and uh, we're about to talk about a very interesting movie from a very odd year in terms of especially Oscar history, because this is the second film we've done from 2020 specifically, because uh, we did Tenet. Oh, we did. We did do Tenet. Yeah. Right. Yes. So we're kind of like going back on this year. And, you know, it's sometimes hard to go back to 2020 for a variety of oh, reasons. Why? What, uh, what was going on that year? Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, so much, really, when you think about it. Like Parasite won Best Picture earlier that year. God, yeah, it did feels like it was like 30 years ago <laughs> truly like many people say that was the last good thing and i tend to agree that was like the last yeah. good thing that happened <laughs> right before it all came crumbling <laughs> apart um but of course uh 2020 the actual uh year uh in terms of like oscar stuff would be the following april and have that weird kind of mix where that was the oscars where it was like both 2020 and 2021 were kind of applicable like for up to like what february of 2021 i think yeah, I still find it quite frustrating because there's movies like um, uh, Minari as well as um, Judas and the Black Messiah, which are like, they're 2021 films, but they counted for twenty for the 2020 Oscars, which I get it. It was, you know, a difficult time for like, you know, there weren't, there weren't that many movies as, as, as much as you would normally get in a normal year, but I, I still kind of find it a bit, a bit frustrating, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And I mean, this is obviously, this is the Nomadland year. And the year where they were at the train station, which uh, was interesting because I still maintain before that ending, I think it was an interesting <laughs> Oscars. Not like a great Oscars, but not like the worst Oscars I had seen up to that point. And I would figure you might defend it, Brian, because your boy Steven Soderbergh produced that Oscars. He did, yeah. That was. I, I, I also agree. I, I think that it was mostly in a, a decent show. It was very casual. I remember like the the room they were in was like a pretty like you know very nice room and like the vibe right it was kinda... the, it was a train station which was very unique because it was like big and open air so they could right. kind of like walk around and there was the whole like floating camera thing which i found interesting where like they would announce the nominees and they would have like a big one shot 
of like yes. focusing on the different people, which I thought was interesting. Um, was, there are some things I wish we would kind of taken from that Oscars and continued forth with. Was this also the year that Questlove was doing like DJing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what I remember as well. I remember that mainly because everyone, whenever they think about this Oscars, always will go back to Walking Phoenix awkwardly <sighs> announcing that Anthony Hopkins won and couldn't be here that night. And then they cut immediately to Questlove, like, uh, hey, everybody, well, I hope you had a fun time. Good night, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very weird moment, which, yeah, I mean, that, that's a whole other situation. But um, Also weird realizing that that guy went from DJing the Oscars to winning an Oscar the following That's true. Year. Yeah, I mean, he, he's great. I mean, we, we love Questlove. Um, right. Everyone's favorite uncle who really likes music. The <laughs> uncle who turned you on to, like, your favorite bands, basically. We were deciding what to do for this one, and right, uh, we uh, there's a few movies from 2020 that like, you know, no offense to Nomadland, I, I I liked that movie, but like I haven't really thought about it since it won Best Picture, and like, I, which can happen with a lot of Best Picture winners, but like, this movie in particular was kind of one of these ones that really kind of stuck around and has stuck with me personally, and I know I think you kind of feel the same way. Yeah, because a shout-out to uh, Rafe Telsch's show, Have Not Seen This, uh, which hasn't released a new episode in quite a while, but that was the first year I started doing, like, his Oscar special thing, where mm-hmm. I would get together with him and Mel Gore and Emily Slade, and we would uh, just talk about, like, the big nominees. And so this was, like, the first year I remember, like, really, like, just filling out every single category. I tend to do that in general, but there will always be one or two I f- don't watch, and I'm like, oh, whatever, it's fine. Doesn't matter to me, but that was the first year where I kind of like act- actively tried to like watch everything, and it was fascinating just going through because I think that's I would argue the most mixed bag of the Oscars we've gotten like since, where it's like a bit. I I would say there's like a fair amount of like interesting winners like this movie, um, even Anthony Hopkins for the Father I think is a very interesting win, um, and then I still haven't just, seen that movie I should uh I should see it, um. I mean, it's a, it's a laugh riot. I can't wait. <laughs> it's it's basically just treats dementia as like a horror movie. Um, oh God, ostensibly. Okay. Um, so like you'll have like interesting ones like that, and then you'll have just the nominees. Like I would still say of the various bad nominees that year, like Trial of the Chicago Seven was the one that truly pissed me off because it's just like the most Oscar baby bullshit to me. It is still not a horrible movie. Not as bad as his next movie i think um oh well that's true yes look being the ricardos <laughs> is a step down sadly um yeah. though at the same time i would argue like as much as i love a good comedic actor does like a dramatic performance sasha baron cohen like that that whole performance is abby hoffman is fucking awful and i'm it's, so baffled i got nominated for that it's a weird performance i do think yaya abdul mateen the second is very good in that movie and it's kind of like I think a few of the performances in that movie are kind of what's holding it up. And, and, and you know, Aaron Sorkin is a pretty good writer, but I think he just shouldn't direct. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly, the most interesting thing about that being nominated that year was it kind of acted as, like, the Darkest Hour and Dunkirk thing from a couple years prior, where it was, sure. like, this and Juice and the Black Messiah. Like, they right. reference each other's events. And it's, like, cinematic universe of real history. <laughs> Yeah, I love Judas and the Black Messiah, though. That's a that's a really phenomenal movie. I think. Yeah, it's a great movie. Kaluuya was worthy of winning yeah. that one, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the thing is, with this Oscars, like you kind of mentioned, like uh, with our new position, 
for any season. We were kind of racking our brains about, like, what is a good movie from, like, the last couple Oscars that we can mm-hmm. kind of talk about. Um, and I think with another round, that one felt truly like the biggest surprise, especially considering it won Best International Film, which we should note, the first winner of the titled International Film Oscar. A much better title for the category. <laughs> As opposed to foreign language? Yeah, which ugh, just kind of, every time I like think about it or say it, just kind of like leaves a bad taste in my mouth, which, ugh. But International Film is a, is a much better title and you know it's it's international we are kind of go, taking films from around the world not just like foreign language which you know it's, <laughs> a, a bit xenophobic a touch yeah. xenophobic perhaps yeah um but at the same time it was also nominated for best director for thomas yes. Vinterberg, which is one of those great examples to me of just like a weird director nom that comes almost out of the blue where it's yeah. just like oh it's not part of like the best picture slate but it just shows that like somebody did that exceptional a job in like one not one of the front runner main movies i love when it happened when like the a kind of international film director will get nominated for that i think like quaron got one for roma i think well yeah he and won because that was like he, he won his second right? win after gravity and stuff yeah yeah so it, it is kind of nice when like even though the movie wasn't included in like the nominees still they're acknowledging like but but this movie, like, this guy fucking did a great job with it. We have to acknowledge him somehow. And I'm curious, because you apparently, um, we both uh, obviously tend to watch things that are related in the lead-up to the episode. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed you were watching a couple of Interbergs in your own right. I did, yeah, because I had, um, I, I was a bit familiar with him already before we kind of a- agreed to this, and I had even seen another round, because I had seen um, the film The Hunt, which we'll get to in a second, of course. But um, and I've also seen uh, his film Far from the Madding Crowd with Carey Mulligan and right. Matthias Schoenart, which is pretty good actually. But um, I believe is that his only English language movie, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yes, I watched um, what is I I believe his first film. I'm not entirely sure. Called The Celebration, uh, which was part of the whole Dogma '95 thing. I don't know how much you want to dive into this whole thing, but... You well, know. I mean, explain it for the, the people, in case they aren't aware of what Dogma 95 is. So, basically, it was this kind of collective of... I believe they were all Danish filmmakers, uh, the most notable of which is Tomas Vinterberg and Lars von Trier. Uh, and it was basically this kind of list of principles slash rules of making a movie uh, that they wanted to follow. And... A lot of them don't follow those rules. Like, even the, the, the films that Lars von Trier made don't follow, like, a, the exact dogma exactly. But uh, The Celebration is this that movie. Um, it's a movie that's shot with, like, those early, early digital cameras. Um, and so, it, yeah. It, it But it is a movie that uh, was released in 1988, and it is about this family coming together at this manner basically to celebrate the father's uh, 60th birthday and it is a movie about a very fucked up family and uh things are revealed it is this very very interesting portrait of this very fucked up family um it is phenomenal i i, I had heard about it for like a few years because it's it's dogma number one like it's the very first movie in this kind of like dogma 95 uh collection i guess right the one that if you pick up the criterion it's literally just like a leaflet in a clear case and then the two discs 
Yes. Basically. <laughs> Which um, is a very... Like, the commitment to the bid, I appreciate. Yeah. But it's a phenomenal movie. Like, a really, really incredible movie that kind of really knocked me... Like, knocked my socks off a bit. Like, and it's, you know... The, the look of it, of course, is, like, that early digital... It's shot by um, Anthony Dodd Mantle, who I think people might know from, like... He shot a few Danny Boyle films and, like, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah. So I watched that movie, which is incredible. I would... It is not my recommendation, but I... I'm going to just recommend anyone watch that movie. It's really, really incredible. And then I also watched uh, what I guess is, um, yeah, the movie he made before Another Round, which is called Kursk, uh, which is about the uh, Kursk submarine uh, in the year 2000 that had uh, exploded. And it, it's an okay movie. Um, okay. It, 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 it's kind of a, um, I only compare it to The Hunt for Red October because it's on a submarine and it's kind of an action drama thriller kind of thing. You know, it's got like Matthias Schoenartz, Leia Seydoux is in it, uh, Colin Firth, great kind of small role by Max von Sydow. It's a bit boring, to be honest. Mm. Um, it, it could use a bit of like Hunt for Red October energy, to be honest, of just like pumping some life into it. But it's not a bad little movie. But um, yeah, and then of course I have seen, and I know, I know that you watched uh, his movie The Hunt, which yes. I did not revisit because it is a very upsetting movie. Uh, which I was not aware of the premise of The Hunt at all. All I yeah. knew about The Hunt was just like that poster, which admittingly, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, oh, that's such a great poster. I wonder, like, did they just get mad alone for this? And then you see the shot in the movie. And it's like, yeah. fuck yeah, this is great. But basically, if you're unaware, it's a movie about Mickelson who plays this guy who initially was teaching at like a middle school or like a high school, but he the school closed. So now he's uh, moved to working at a kindergarten and, you know, he's like in his forties and he's estranged from his wife and he's trying to get custody of his son. Um, and then uh, he also has sort of a friendship with this little neighbor girl who is in his kindergarten class um, and they walk around, you know, back and forth from home to school all the time because her parents are a bit distant and he's buddies with his, with the, the uh, father who is a uh, Thomas Bo Larson, right? Is that guy? Yes. Yes. He is also in The Celebration and in, in another round. He plays um the biggest piece of shit in The Celebration. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's very, like, I in the very first scene of the movie, um, his brother, like, the main character is walking down, like, a street to the manor, and he's in the car with his wife and kids, and he sees, like, oh, that's my brother. Let's pick him up. And then he kicks his wife and kids out of the car so that his brother can <laughs> ride in there. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not the worst thing he does in the movie. I will say oh, that boy. much. He's well. yeah. Um, but go on. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So um, uh, at a certain point, uh, while he's you know trying to teach the class or like with all the kids, uh, the little girl uh, ends up kissing him on the lips and then gives him a little heart in a little uh, package, a little envelope. And he's like, "You you shouldn't do that. This isn't something that like." we should do we're like firmly establishing boundaries of what you can do so uh later on she ends up uh saying something out of the blue to one of the other kindergarten teachers uh that potentially implies mads uh may have done something horrible uh which we do not see because obviously it's like it's a weird kind of thing especially watching it now you know this movie came out in 2012 it -hmm. is a curiosity when i found out that was the premise of this i became immediately uneasy and I'm like, okay, how, how is this going to work out? And I think they do a really great job of firmly, like, 
establishing this is a very odd situation, uh, as opposed to like this is like the constant reality kind of thing. Um, but but yeah, I think it's a fascinating little drama that also really does a great job. Like with these two movies of his that I've seen, I've only seen these two. Um, he does such a fascinating job of building a kind of rapport between people that makes yeah. it feel truly lived in. Like you're mm-hmm. popping in on like a situation that's like been around for like, you know, at least a couple of years in the hunt or in this particular case, uh, well for a year within the hunt, but also with like another round, like these guys who we hang out with, like they have been bros for ever. Yeah. And it just feels like you're instantly a part of that friend group. Yeah, he's very good at, I will say, uh, kind of bringing you into a, a, a character, a group of characters' lives. Um, I mean, the celebration is literally that. Like, you are just getting invited to this family and just kind of, like, finding things out about them and just kind of, like, sl- it slowly kind of unraveling what this family is. And even, like, Kursk, a movie I think is okay, it has a lot of great like character moments at the beginning and it has a lot of great beats in there. Um, but yes, he's a, he's very good at kind of writing characters and doing all of that stuff. As he of course did with another round, which let's just play the trailer now for another round. Men jeg har lyst til at starte aftenen med lidt champagne. Det lyder dejligt. Øh, jeg er bil. Jeg skal bare have en dansk mand. Øh, uden citrus. Uden citrus, ja tak. Ja. Hæft, ja. det er godt det her. Øh, ja, det er sgu synd, du er så fornuftig. Godt. Men spørgsmålet er, hvad der i virkeligheden er fornuftigt? Der findes en, en norsk filosof. Han øh, mener, at mennesket er født med en halv promille for lidt. Altså jeg må sige, jeg kunne da godt sådan bruge en halv promille sådan på daglig basis for at få lidt mere selvtid. Det har vi da alle sammen brug for. Det har du da også brug for. Jeg synes, det er spændende. Det gør jeg også. Så det er det, vi gør. So another round came out in 2020, as you mentioned, uh, September 24th, 2020 in Denmark. Yeah, I know it was supposed to have its premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. It was uh, right, which already got selected. Yes, got Cannes sold. Um, <sighs> so sorry. So good. No. Don't apologize Everyone's turning the episode like off now. <laughs> we got your download. It's fine. Um. Um, yes, but it was it was selected for the Cannes Film Festival, and then it eventually had its premiere at, at the Toronto International Film Festival. Right, but the I'm digital not... Toronto International Film Festival, yeah. Right. Which, side note, it, that was very interesting where technically the only time I've ever been to Sundance was when they were doing like the Sundance in 2021. Oh, kind right. of thing during the pandemic. And it is fascinating how like I'm friends with a bunch of people over at like Film Cred who um were able to get access to stuff like the TIFF titles or Sundance or any of these other things in a way that has really disappeared since twenty twenty. It's one of the few movie related things in particular twenty twenty that feel like it's been missing. Like that sort mm-hmm. of access. I wish that was like still more viable because now film festivals will kind of put out screeners digitally, but only for like smaller things anyway. It's a shame sure. that we can't have a bit more of that, like, accessibility anymore. Like, that's how I was able to see Nomadland in, like, November of 2020. Was, oh, like, okay. through, it was, uh, I think it was the New York, I forgot which theater it is. But it was, like, one of the, the like, the New York uh, Arts Center, I believe. Oh, like Lincoln, Lincoln Center? The Lincoln Center, yes, God. Yeah. Oh, so cultured. <laughs> Uh, clearly. But yeah, the Lincoln Center was uh, putting out the, like, those screeners. And yeah, I do kind of miss that element of it. Yeah, it was also this weird thing in, like, 2020 where, like, 
we don't live in like New York or LA and I, I feel like releases can often take a while to get to us. And one of the kind of, obviously I, I, I love movie theaters. I love movies being in theaters, but especially during this year, it was nice to see a lot of these movies, these kind of awards movies that typically like, you know, would come out like months later for where we are. Uh, it was great, kind of great to see them like a bit earlier just because they were put on like, you know, VOD and streaming and stuff like that. As another round was by the time of like early 2021 was when it first hit Hulu, where as of this recording, it still remains. And uh, basically, if you're unaware of this movie, which you might be because obviously the 2020 Oscars probably weren't for <laughs> just considering how little the Oscar movies are watched now. Um, 2020 was, a, I guess, a particularly bad year for that. But um, with uh, this movie, it follows uh, these four teachers, uh, Martin, Tommy, Peter, and Nikolai, um, who are all, you know, in Copenhagen uh, teaching these kids. Um, some of the kids have been uh, are a bit concerned about being able to, like, pass because of how strict sort of the grade guidelines are for the uh, colleges they're going to attend. And um, it's, you know, the stress is kind of building up for all these teachers as well with, like, the various stuff with their home lives. Like, our Martin, played by Mads Mikkelsen, who I'm sure we're going to be talking about extensively. Oh, man. In, in a bit. <laughs> we, got, we, got, we go mad for Mads, truly. He is, like, having a lot of issues with, like, opening up to other people, especially, like, his wife and his family. He's felt kind of distant. And so all of them, you know, are kind of commiserating, talking at, like, Tommy's, uh, or no, uh, um... I think it's Peter or Nikolai. Nikolai. Uh, yeah, his yeah, 40th uh, birthday. Right, his 40th birthday. And uh, at a certain point, he brings up like, well, you know, I, I've read this study that basically we should be at like a higher alcohol tolerance on a consistent level at 0.05%. Right. Yeah, pe- right. People are born like 0.05% under what they should be at. And that if right. you get to that level, you can kind of function better. <laughs> right, based on this uh, think piece that this guy read. <laughs> this this feels right. like totally like the worst kind of like, well, actually, study show. But it does feel like when you like, kind of like meet up with someone, they're like, yeah, I read this study about how like, you know, and they, sh- they just tell you some like weird thing where you're like supposed to do and you're like, what? What, what? what are you talking about? But like a fun weird thing, not like yeah. a cue thing. Which sure, immediately not just like... turns this into like, I'm leaving. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, but yeah, so he's just like, well, yeah, we should try and maintain 0.05%, which is roughly one to two, uh, like bottles, of, uh, not bottles, one to two, uh, <laughs> one, one to two glasses of wine, um, mm-hmm. or just like a couple beers, basically like maintain that throughout the day and you'll be like more energized and you'll be looser and you'll be able to like really connect with people. And uh, so they all commit to that bit. And uh, for a little bit, it kind of works out for him. It They're does. Kind of like doing some interesting things and stuff. But then, uh, shockingly, uh, this might lead to alcoholism, which maybe we should even talk about this before we get into the movie. Uh, what's your relationship with alcohol? I mean, it's a weird relationship, I will say. I, I have I have watched many people in my life, kind of just like family, who like drink a lot and have mm-hmm. gotten just, like, absolutely hammered. I don't drink that often, to be honest. I, I don't drink alcohol that often. Um, I'm a bit of a lightweight when it comes to alcohol. Like, I will have, like, half a beer, and I'm, like, kind of feeling it, you know? Like, <laughs> um, Don't worry, folks. Whenever we have a beer after a movie, I always make sure Brian's good to drive because he had, like, two sips, so I'm worried about him. <laughs> yeah, but... um. 
but no, look, I think this movie gets into like a lot of the good, bad, and ugly stuff of alcohol, right? And like part of what I think is so interesting about this movie is that it is not a movie that is hitting you over the head of like, alcohol is bad, don't drink, it will ruin your life. Like it's not a movie that's screaming that out at you. It's not a leaving Las Vegas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but because it, like, works for them for a while right like they are like he becomes a better teacher and like you want like honestly like as someone who like is recently in school like seems like a great professor when he is kind of drunk <laughs> like very fun yeah I-, I i think that this movie gets into all of that stuff and yeah i don't have a dangerous relationship with alcohol myself other than like you know i drink it every once in a while and then i feel great but um yeah i don't know what what about you yeah, I have an interesting relationship with that where my parents were never really drinkers. Um, but I had been around like dad's friends, uh, who sure. were much more like liable to drink and even alcohol was always this thing that like I was a good boy as like a teenager. So it was like I will abstain from any such things kind of deal until about college when I did take to drinking a bit more. I didn't have any ragers or anything. I'm not like these kids at the opening of another round, necessarily, <laughs> where I'm, like, fucking around with people on subways and shit. But, um, yeah, at the same time, I've, I've also kind of seen what you're talking about, like, particularly with sort of friends who I maintain contact with from college. Some kind of like to drink a bit more than others, and the older you get, the more that can be a dangerous proposition. The The most I ever got to, like, really drinking was during the pandemic, kind of, like, around this sure. time, where mm-hmm. there was just a certain point where I'm like, I have to, like, have something every single night. Um, and it got to a point, especially, I remember this, one of only two times I've ever been blackout drunk was election night 2020. I think fairly. <laughs> yeah. I that, think it was, that... it was very fair. But um, at the same time, I, I do hate that idea. Like, whenever that's happened, like I said, twice in my life, I always feel weird about it because just like I've just completely forgotten everything about a certain chunk of time. Oh, okay. Right. A lot of my drunkest states, I still have like memories sure. of like weird moments and shit like that. But just being completely blackout drunk really was just like a weird thing for me whenever it's happened. So it's like I don't want to ever get to that point again. So now, you know, I'll get a six pack like, you know, every one, two months. Just kind of like chill out with a beer when it's like been a really stressful day of work kind of deal. But yeah, I've really kind of like backtracked on it. And it was very interesting, especially watching this movie, like shortly after that point. I mean, as much as I kind of say like I am a bit of a lightweight, like it does not take a lot for me to get like buzzed or drunk or anything. I am very good at like holding my liquor. And I, I don't think I, I've only thrown up drunk like once and I've never like blacked out or anything like that when it comes to like watching this movie at least even though this is a movie where like it's not a alcohol good movie necessarily no. as our as our guest lily last week joked like alcohol good like no it, it's not really <laughs> that kind of movie necessarily but like it does make alcohol seem very enticing and like it 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 gives you that feeling especially if you haven't like had it in a while of like that very first sip of alcohol you have and just like the buzz you get this movie like really captures that in a way that i found very interesting they also drink white wine in this which is not my preference by the way i'm a i'm a red wine person personally i agree concur with red wine thank you oh, finally someone else fuck that chardonnay yeah merlot that's right paul giamatti in sideways 
I don't know. This movie, I think, is very interesting when it comes to what it kind of has to say about alcohol and how I don't think, and this is the thing I think Thomas Vinterberg is very good at, is not really hitting you over the head with the messaging of the movie. He sort of just lays it out for you, which is kind of the thing I remember about like The Hunt, whereas like obviously that movie has a lot of messages going on, but I don't think it's very explicit about it necessarily, and more it is kind of just depicting what this is like for these people. It's not very cut and dry. It just kind of tries yeah. to examine the situation for for what it is, which I do find fascinating, especially with, like, between The Hunt and this. I think he does such a great job of making movies that, not to sound too pretentious, but do feel just like life. You're really engrossed in the situation. And like I said, there's that point when they're talking about the whole, um, you know, keeping yourself at 0.05%. Um, I love the fact that that just does feel like a real sort of friendship back and forth dinner conversation where there's like, that's bullshit. I don't know, man. I'm, uh, he has all the scientific research and I think it makes sense. And, you know, how they kind of grow to realize like, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. We're very sad <laughs> and very middle-aged. Let's do it. Well, that, I mean, that scene where like they're all at the dinner is so, is so great because of all that stuff. But also like the... Mads in that scene is so great because he's like he's the only one like not drinking he's like I'm driving I'm just gonna have a soda like it's fine and then they bring they keep like bringing out like they have like a white wine and then they have like a oh champagne and like a red wine and stuff and like he has like the two glasses and he's like we'll get to Mads in, in like one second but like his like look where he starts like he's his eyes start watering and he's just like thinking about mm. just all yes. of just his life and just his like his state in life and he just downs like three like glasses of wine in like a minute um yeah i mean it it is like that thing i was talking about earlier of just like that just having alcohol when you haven't had it in a while and you're just like almost like this like "Eh, fuck it like just drinking like kind of thing but uh should should we get to mads should we talk about mads for a minute mads corner you know let's do it so I'm curious what your first Mads is, because I think I have a more traditional one, uh, which is Casino Royale. I don't think that was the first time I ever saw him, to be honest. Okay. The first time I ever saw him, I think, might have been maybe Rogue One and, like, Doctor Strange, right? Because those are the kind of the, the, the same year, 2016. Yes. So I think I saw, I saw him in those, and then, of course, yeah, Casino Royale, which I think he's one of the best Bond villains ever, I, I would say. Would, would you agree with that? I mean, it's especially interesting considering that with that movie, they do kind of like pull the rug from under you with him. Right. Because he mm-hmm. dies fairly early into the movie by like comparison to what you would... Or no, wait, did he or did he get murdered in Quantum of Solace? No, he dies in... I think he dies in Casino Royale. Okay. I'm, right. Well, now I want to fact check myself. Um, I'm, I have his phone report. He doesn't have a credit for Quantum of Solace, so I'm going to say it's Casino Royale. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to remember how he dies, though, in Casino Royale. I mean, he just gets, like, kind of shot. Like, Oh, right. Well, it's during the torture scene, right? And, like, someone comes in and, like, shoots him. Yes, right. Okay, yes, I remember now. Which, I mean... Right. But, the, yeah, that ball torture you're talking about, though. That's, yes, like, the big thing for, like, that makes him work so well. Where it's just like, oh, I'm gonna, like, torture Bond, but not in the, you know, oh, there's no laser coming up to his crutch. Like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. It's like, I'm gonna fucking whip you in the balls. He's just, like, the, like, the simplest tortures are often the most effective or something like that. And it's just, like, 
I mean, the, there's a thing about him where he is so hot, I must say, like incredibly handsome. And yet, and I think this is because he's, I, I love Scandinavian people, but just because he's Danish, he's very menacing looking and he's very scary and he can really ha- like he's he's a great villain he i think he's a pretty good villain in doctor strange i think he's very good in um uh dial of destiny which i don't really love that much but i think he's very good in it he's got a perfect casting for that i mean even i'll say you know we don't like to talk about this franchise but he's easily the best grindelwald as grindelwald performance i, I was gonna i just ha- i haven't seen the secrets of dumbledore yet i don't know i don't oh, what, know no one, you didn't see that shocking <laughs> along with a lot of other people who didn't see it um but but yeah i mean i remember still the second time it would have seen would have probably been when i of course we haven't mentioned it yet but fucking hannibal um the first time oh my gosh i ever saw hannibal was like the first time i like had seen him i think post casino royale and i was like oh wow uh this guy is somehow more menacing without like the weird like, eye that has, like, the scar on it and everything. The fascinating thing about Hannibal was I, st- I still remember around that time, and I was along with the chorus of just, like, why are we doing a fucking Hannibal TV show? This feels like a dumb idea. It's this was very early in sort of the years. golden age of television mm-hmm. kind of renaissance thing. Um, and uh, it truly blew me away. Um, and it's I still think, like, a very fascinating sort of way of taking such familiar material and truly making it feel whole and unique. Yeah. And it's kind of the perfect marriage of him being like incredibly charming and incredibly handsome. And also there is just that, that menace to him. And like he, he's, I don't know how he does this, but he like, especially in Hannibal, like really dials it up or down, like how menacing he is versus how like much you're just kind of like charmed by this guy. Um, and I, yeah, and of course we haven't mentioned what I'm sure is his, you know, his most famous credit, which is the Rihanna "Bitch Better Have My Money" music video, <laughs> which true, of course, very true. We all remember. Do you, have Have you heard the quote that he said about why he did that that music video? Refresh my memory on it. It was so his like daughters, I believe, like he had told them about being in this Rihanna music video, and they like yelled at him like you fucking idiot like do it why are you what are you doing it's rihanna (laughs) and there's this really great interview around the time of like rogue one where like it's him and ben mendelsohn doing like a like the interview junket kind of thing and someone like asked ben mendelsohn like oh like how jealous are you that uh mads was in rihanna's like bitch better have my money music video and ben's like oh i didn't i didn't know and mads is just like yeah and he has this like really satisfied grin on his face and he goes like i was the bitch (laughs) Just. What I find so fascinating about him is that he is very handsome, like you mentioned earlier. He's very hot, but also he feels very uniquely hot. Madge just feels like he came from a different fucking universe, and he <laughs> arrived here. Just happened to land in, uh, you know, in the Danish country. And, uh, yeah, it, it's fascinating, especially, like, how, like, handsome and unsettling can be, but also how even funny he could be. Like, by doing oh, yeah. nothing. Like, on Hannibal, there are so many points where they just do the cheeky thing of, like, oh, I'm having friends over for dinner. And he would just look. And he's just like, I'm so satisfied with this fucking bit I just did. And that, that's the thing. He has, like, I think it's only, like, his unique face could kind of, like, display all that as well as it Yes. Does. I mean, what a face. Like, he he's a really wonderful actor. And, like, I feel like, again, like, he is very striking looking. 
And I think that that, uh, like a lot of people kind of, like you see him once and you're just like, oh, I, I know this guy. Like you, he's very distinctive looking. And I think a lot of people, you know, they know of, they know of him from his like menacing side and, or of like, you know, him being Hannibal and being like terrifying or whatever. Um, or from the masterpiece video game, Death Stranding, which he's great in, I think. Um, or of course you've seen Hideo Kojima tweet like, five million right. times a day pictures of him or whatever but um what, what i love so much about his performance in another round which might be my favorite lead performance of 2020 is that like there's not a lot of him being scary or charming necessarily like it is like this character is a bit i say pathetic but i you know only because like he is very dejected he's very like disinterested in his like work He's very depressed and like down and whatever. And it's a very restrained performance in a lot of ways. And it's a very great, just dramatic performance, which like, you know, again, like Dial of Destiny, he's great. I'm sure he's probably the best part of Secrets of Dumbledore. But again, that feels like the movies are more kind of using his persona that he's been putting out there for years. And it's really great when he gets to work with like Vinterberg, who he's like worked with before, of course, like on something like this where he gets to flex a bit more of his dramatic muscles which is always great to see what but i think is what's interesting is like that's the guy that we get at least at the very beginning of this movie and then he almost has a sort of like dr jekyll mr hyde transformation over the course of this movie with like the various different personas i think this is like the best showcase i think for every single flavor of mads really it's a true mad smorgasbord if you will and yeah yeah, because, like, he gets to be, like you mentioned, like, so downtrodden. That scene where he's crying at the dinner table, I agree. Oh. It's, like, such a beautiful... And it's, like, all one shot, basically, of him, like, really tearing up. Yeah. Uh, but then, later on, when... Like, right after that scene, I think, is when, like, they're all drunkenly dancing around the first time. And he's doing yeah. that weird, like, sidewalk where he's kind of flossing. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and, and when he kind of, like when he drinks and starts like teaching and he be kind of like really opens up when he's doing the whole, like who would, who of these three people would you vote for? And he kind of like, is doing oh, that whole yes. thing. Yeah. He's just so charming. And you're just like, so like entranced by this guy because he is so compelling and you just want to like, listen to him and watch him like do whatever. He and... almost convinces you that Winston Churchill was a cool dude. <laughs> yes. Yeah, as exactly. as we of course saw in the darkest hour, or as I prefer to call of it, course. Big Mama's House for Churchill's in session. <laughs> Maybe the funniest thing I've ever come up with. <laughs> I don't see that likely. That'll be on my tombstone. Yeah, and like, uh, and he he does get like a couple of scenes where he is a bit scary, like when he's like when uh, at the dinner table with his like wife when he like throws all the the glasses and the dishes and everything like yeah. that's a scene where I'm like oh right like he can really like go you know big and like scary if he wants to if he needs to and you know a big thing with this movie for all the performers here but I would say in particular Mads um drunk acting is infamously hard yeah. to nail there are so many times where you watch somebody act drunk in a movie or a tv show and it's like what what the hell is this like the weird thing where Nicolas Cage won his Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas, which I referenced earlier, and his whole thing was like, oh, I just taped myself drunk and then did that, which you can imagine Nicolas Cage doing Nicolas Cage drunk is sure. not quite like everybody else, <laughs> perhaps. What? Are you saying no. Nicolas Cage is not like most other people? <laughs> no. 
very normal chill dude so it's hard to really like get drunk acting right but i think what mads does so well and everybody else in this cast like i said does so well is truly convey like the whole you're drunk but you're trying to act sober thing like that's like another infinitesimal hard version of drunk and they all do it so beautifully in this movie well and like obviously like they're drunk for a lot of the movie but it's not even that they are drunk it's it's that kind of thing of like you're buzzed yes. you're kind of in between buzzed and drunk and that's a very like that's so difficult to like act i i assume and mads especially during all those scenes where he's like teaching like all the teachers of course like when they're all kind of like in their mojo and whatever mm-hmm. it's such a great representation of that like that zone of like in between buzzed and drunk where you're just like very loose but not like blabbering and like you know slurring and everything Yeah, it is one of the things that makes these performances, I think, so great and so, like, difficult and interesting to to kind of look at in this movie. Yeah, Um, which I think that's a solid tradition. Like, who is your favorite of the uh, other three guys? I'll shout out their their names. We mentioned Thomas Bo Larson um, Mm -hmm. and Magnus Melange, but also uh, Lars Ranth as Peter. Um, I think the, the four of them are so phenomenal, but who would you say is your favorite of the supporting sort of ensemble? Oh man, I liked I like Tommy, um, mainly because I I was watching this and I was like, oh, it's the guy from the celebration, and but like I think he has obviously like where his plotline goes is very upsetting and very like, uh, one of the more kind of like heartbreaking things about the movie and kind of thematically, of course, but I I love just seeing him, like with the with the kid, like with the the specs as they call him, like. Just seeing their, like, interactions, just the way that he's kind of, like, he's clearly drunk, so he's, like, you know, kind of, like, very buddy-buddy with with him, but, like, there is kind of a genuine, like, caring there for him. Like, he's really kind of trying to look out for him, and then when, like, he scores the goal, and, like, it's such a great, like, moment, Um, but also I, I just like him because I think he's the most, obviously, for where his, where he, he ends up, of course, but, like, his is the most depressing, <laughs> but who's your MVP? Um, I gotta say for me, it's uh, Magnus Melange. I think because like he mm-hmm. has the particular kind of thing where we obviously, what you're talking about with Bo Larson is more kind of like the tragic side of this versus yeah. Nikolai as a character gets the best example of sort of like the most embarrassing, I think, kind of downfall Yeah, with like him peeing in that bed, which is such a good payoff. To the whole, like, earlier on, the kids, like, he keeps saying, like, oh, they pee all over my bed. The one <laughs> kid just, like, sleeping on top of him on the couch, which is, like, such a good scene, especially of, like, an awkward father-son moment. Where it's just, like, he yeah. screams and it's like, no, you're gonna wake up everybody, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, I, and then by the time he actually pees in the bed, it's uh, it is truly, like, the most pathetic, like, oh, man. This is, like, the least dignified anyone's looked here. <laughs> He's really great, I, I will say. I love that he's the one treating it like it's this, like, experiment, the scientific method. Like, he's typing it all out and everything. By the way, I love how this movie uses typing here, where it's just yes. it's intertitles. is yes. like, almost feels like a silent movie thing. Like, oh my god, why don't we just do this more often? Not just, like, bubbled up text messages or whatever. Do this. Yeah. What you've gotten, like, that scene where, like, he pees in the bed and, like, him and his wife have that like argument you, you read like the, the synopsis for this movie of like oh it's these four guys who are staying at like a 
low alcohol level, you know, they're drinking whatever. And you're like, oh, that sounds kind of like interesting, kind of fun, whatever. Like, and before I had seen this movie, I thought like, oh, this is going to be a movie that kind of like hammers down that message of like alcohol is bad and it's going to like ruin their lives, whatever, et cetera. And it's, it's not necessarily that, but I think what it reveals is like, yes, it's a movie about these four guys, like doing this fun, dumb experiment. That sounds kind of like you, you, you hear about it for the first time and you're like, Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, but it very quickly, I think reveals itself to be a movie about toxic masculinity and these four guys who are using this as like this almost like escape to not acknowledge like their personal lives and not wanting to engage in their everyday lives with their families and, and their jobs and all that stuff. And it's in a sober state to any degree. Right. And I think that scene really like is great at that, at showing like the very ugly side of that where like they have that just massive argument and he's just left like laying on the ground. But we should also shout out Lars as Peter, who I think especially he's the one that feels the most like, a teacher I would have had for sure because especially like his relationship with uh, his his sort of um, his mentorship of that one kid who's really like trying to take the test. Yeah. Sebastian. Yes. Which I love how the kids, they start our movie. There are opening uh, sequences, them like fucking around getting drunk, Um, which I guess I I wasn't aware really of like the sort of Copenhagen's policy on a high schooler can drink freely until it becomes too much of a problem. Yeah, I looked up the age of drinking in Denmark, and I think it's, like, it was 16 for, like, buying it in a shop, and 18 for going to a bar or, like, a restaurant. Any Danish people out there, please correct me, but um, that's what Google Yeah, to our Danish listeners, please. (laughs) That kinship, I think, feels, like, really authentic, Um, and especially Mm -hmm. the the whole fact that the twist of this, like, when I... I had forgotten about the subplot basically before I rewatched it, and I was kind of worried, like, oh, wait, is is this going to be, like another tragic angle I forgot about. Like, this kid's gonna get sloshed and, like, ruined his future or whatever. And, uh, now he had, like, a couple sips that steadied his nerves and then he was able to do his fucking exam well. This is the thing about this movie, I think, which is, like, it it is a movie very much about, like, yeah, alcohol can help. Like, it does. Like, you know, like, not to, you know, but it, 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 it helps them. Like, it genuinely does. Like, they are better teachers. They're better, like, in their personal lives and everything. And yet, like, there is that angle of, like, but it will also, like, if you continue, it not only will it lead to, like, alcoholism, but it will just lead to everyone around you just kind of hating you and, like, being kind of repelled by you because you're fucking drunk all the time. Right. I think it's a movie that's a very big proponent of uh, moderation, which right. is, like, you know, just the healthy way of, like, you can still drink on occasion or like on a night where you don't have any responsibilities, anything like that, you can just like chill out and have a drink. Just all the difference in the world between like that kind of moderation and like the reliance on it. Like where it really is a movie about like that specific angle of addiction that is just like, it's a habit thing that it's like, you just keep up a certain thing, especially that, that moment where they switch over from like, you know what? Maybe we should go a bit higher than 0.05. Like that's the moment where it becomes like, oh, now it's just alcoholism. <laughs> really. Right. They even, like, I mean, I think at some point when they're in, like, the the office, like, where they're all, like, meeting, and they're like, 
are we alcoholics? And the guy's like, no, we're not alcoholics because we, we choose when we're drinking. Alcoholics, right. like, you know, can't, like, help themselves, that kind of thing, which is what they say. Total alcohol logic, yes. But, <laughs> but like, yes, but, like, where it leads up to where it's that, like, the really bad night where they go out and they're at the bar and, like, they're, like, Mads is, like, on top of the bar and, like, falls onto the crowd and everything. Like, that is just, like, the part where it's, like, oh, these guys are just, they're just drunks like they're just really drunk guys who you know but i i do love the kind of angle of this movie of of just having the school kids obviously like the beginning is them like drinking and like tying the they tie the 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 cop to the bar which is kind of funny actually (laughs) and and i don't i don't know how much of this is like true or whatever but there's that line that his wife says um annika who's like you know everyone in this country drinks like so much right and like this that idea of like alcohol being so pervasive and being passed on to like the next generation almost which is like just a bit like scary kind of looking at the the, the more tragic elements of this movie but also I, I love just the kind of contrast where it's these kids who are very excited about like their future they're excited to go to college they're excited to party and drink or whatever and then these like you know guys in their 40s who are past all of that stuff and they're just like and they you know kind of yearn for that feeling but they can't have it and also they're like you know they're just you know they're unable to cope with their personal lives and yeah i just i don't know all those elements i think are just so fascinating to me and the way that the that this movie handles all of them real shame when you can't cope in copenhagen (laughs) boo Tip waitresses, trivial, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it is interesting, especially like even, you know, we're talking about this uh, film from Denmark, but we obviously live in the United States where alcohol is still extremely pervasive in its own right. It's weird to think that like only a couple years before like I was born, we had like a Spuds McKenzie. Which are you aware of what this is? I've heard of it, but I have no idea what that is. <laughs> it was the Bud Light sponsor. It was literally just like one of those um, uh, bull terriers that is just dressed up with like sunglasses and like a party button down like Hawaiian shirt. Oh, and I he see. was the life of the party. Spuds McKenzie. Yeah, I love his shirt. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Makes you want a Bud Light, doesn't it? It does not. Nothing on this earth could make me want a Bud Light. <laughs> that was a test. You passed. Truly, I appreciate I, that. I have water right next to me. Um. <laughs> yep. Um, um, but yeah, but yeah, the, this was like a character who, like, obviously was like, oh no, hey, we haven't hanging around bikini babes or whatever. This is an adult drink, but it's like, but also you're trying to get kids into it. It's a cute sure. dog who's selling beer. They're inherently going to be attracted to that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that this movie gets, which is kind of, you know, a universal kind of thing, is especially like that scene I mentioned at the bar later on where it's like a really messy night. It, it really kind of reminded me of my absolute nightmare, which is drunk people at a bar, just being around them, like just being around super drunk people, like at a restaurant or a bar or something is just my nightmare <laughs> because like just the way that they're acting where it's just like, obviously like they just have no filter and are just not like, just don't give a shit about anything. And it's just, one of those things that I'm just like, oh my god, it's like, you just, ugh. You know, I'm not the most social person either, but at the same time, I like a fun night at a bar. 
you know. No, sure. I think there yeah. could be, like, a fun to that, but I agree with you when it's, like, just overcrowded. Like, I'll just say this much. Um, One of the times I have gotten the most drunk was when I was at FSU. Go Knowles. Uh, and uh, when I went there uh, the night that we won the championship in 2013, which is one of the most beautiful displays I've ever seen of just a wide variety of drunks. Like, truly, and we all were there, and we all were very happy and exhaustive. People were literally going into, like, the middle of the the highway and, like, high-fiving in, like, the median <laughs> as people were stopped. Like, it's it was, like, a magical night of all of us being all different shades of fucking blasted. <laughs> and I think that there's something to that. <laughs> but, but what you're describing, though, is, like, the ending of the movie, which is very celebratory and almost, like, is very cathartic. But, like, that night is just kind of, like, my nightmare of just, like, drunk people who are just far too drunk and have had way too much and are just, like, you know, being, like, way too friendly and just, like, that kind of thing. I've had nights like that as well. (laughs) Especially in college, I had so many nights like that were fucking awful. That's the thing, is this movie, I think, does a really great job of displaying, like, what alcohol can really be, which is just, like, it's this tool. And how often you use it will very much affect how, you know, your night will go. I think one of the the better scenes that displays this is when Thomas Bill Larson comes back after they agree to stop drinking. And, like, that's what I'm talking about with, like, the acting. Like, that also, Mads has a moment like that that leads to a hilarious pratfall at the end of it. (laughs) Uh, It's the wall. But, yeah, just, like, those two scenes do such a great job of displaying, like, how that can be a funny situation. Or, like, the most, like, awkward and upsetting scene possible. That scene feels like it goes on for so long, too. Yep. Just, like, him walking, like, walking in the room and just, like, stumbling everywhere. Yeah. Can I just also say about Thomas Bo Larson, the weird thing about seeing The Hunt and this movie one day after the other, it's so weird seeing him without that beard from the hunt oh he has a beard in the i I haven't seen the hunt in so long he has an amazing facial hair where it feels like i'm not sure if it's fake or the realest hair i've ever seen where it's just like that oh right right yeah it's a fascinating facial hair (laughs) it is i kind of like the look though just like the longer hair beard like he looks no i love it which is why he almost was like unrecognizable to me when I first saw him again in another round. Yeah, I mean, I, I like seeing him in this and like the celebration where he's like much, much younger is like he looks very similar in another round as he does in the celebration. Like he's just like much older. And I, yeah, I had forgotten he was in the hunt. That's, huh, interesting. But that guy, yeah, I think is like so stellar in yeah. that scene I'm mentioning. And just like throughout the movie, like there's a great scene also that him and Mad share that feels like one of the truest examples of like situations i've just been in where it's like you're around somebody has had issues with drinking and then they offer you a drink and you're like let's not do it buddy oh let's stop yeah. that like I've, I've had moments like that um where you're just like you know what hey we don't have to be drunk right now you know we can just like be like on each other's level and he's like yeah yeah, yeah. like i love that too that he's so agreeable just like yeah yeah you're right right the, the mads is like maybe we shouldn't do that and he's like no, yes, of course. Like, of course, we shouldn't do that. Like, of course, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And just his whole thing of, like, his kind of plot line, I guess, which is a bit of, at least this is the way I read it, of, like, it's how Mads, Mads' character could end up, right? Because he's, like, divorced, and he's, like, kind of lonely, and just kind of, you know, 
not very happy and everything and it's kind of where mad's character's heading at least you can you can kind of see that um which i, I just love the their kind of like last scene together where he's like i'm i'm rooting for you guys and like he's like um and also he's like you don't want this which is like such a devastating line i think the you don't want this in particular like took me aback honestly yeah. when i watch it this time that real kind of like awkwardness there I think just it's what I'm ta- what we were talking about earlier of just like Vinterberg truly getting you immersed in this situation, especially for a movie that has very odd tonal shifts, especially for like a Western audience, where like yeah. if you're watching this, like it truly does like go from oh it's like a sad drama to this is a hilarious comedy where these right. guys just being silly. The scene where they dance to like a, the sissy strut that like jazz bit where they're in the house yes. is like so raucous and charming. And you're like, these bros rule. I want to yeah. be bros dudes with rock. these guys. Dudes rock. Exactly. This is a dudes it's rock a, movie. It is a dudes rock movie. But at, it's also at the same time a dudes hit rock bottom movie. Right, of which course. Which I think it is, is also... Right. Dudes sometimes don't rock? What? Right, that dudes rock is much like drinking. Like, it's an aesthetic. It's a specific thing. But, like, you got to do it right or else dudes don't end up rocking. That's the real <laughs> twist of dudes rock. I mean, I lo- I think that's also the scene where, like, they're kind of discussing, like, let's go one step, like, further. Like, I think it's, like, it's from point, like, seven, I think is what they're at, to, like, 1.2 or something, like, mm-hmm. insane like that. And that's all, that's the scene where Mads is, like, I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm, I have to get back to my, because fa- it's after he, him and his, like, family have gone on the, on the canoe trip, which is so oh, lovely. And it's such a, like, wonderful, like, beautiful, especially, like, the a necessary sex scene um yeah, uh, that's exactly what I was, like when i was watching this i immediately just thought of like that whole dumb sex scene argument because like it's not really titillating it's just it is sensual and it's very like sweet and heartwarming by the end of it where she, just shout out uh, maria bonevi very underrated i think for this movie yes she's really great she really conveys, like, particularly in that moment where she's, like, crying and she just mentions, like, it's because I've missed you. I've missed you. Yeah, it's been a long time, I think is, like, one other thing she it's been, says. Right, it's been a long time since I've, like, really engaged with you. You get a true sense that she's a woman who has felt abandoned in her marriage. And then with, like, moments like that or, you know, even, like, the restaurant scene, which is so fucking brutal. You get a full sense of, like, she's just been through so much, even if, like, all that's happened to her is, like, her husband's been distant. Like, that really, truly affects her in a way that feels very grounded and sad. Yeah. And also, I mean, also, like, with, with Nikolai's wife, re-watching this movie, I really got a sense of just, like, oh, my God, she has to deal with, like, not just, like, her husband, like, being whatever. Like, I, 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 I like that he is not, like, a bad husband in the sense of, like, he, like, she's like, oh, I have to, like, remember to get the fresh cod. And he's like, yep, getting the fr- fresh cod. And like yes. it's not it's he's not like shut up or whatever you know he's like they, they, it's not that their relationship is like awful but it is like she's not like a nag and it's like am I right sure. right right yeah but I but I like the the way that you can tell like she like is taking care of what like three kids is what they have like they have two right. toddlers and a baby and like you can tell just like oh she's had to like really deal with the household while he's been like you know working and dealing with his whatever bullshit like he has to go hanging through. out with his bros yeah hanging out with the boys i don't um, think she would say that dudes rock in this case <laughs> no no um but 
Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, she, she's also great in this movie. Um, yeah, their home lives feel very authentic to me. Where, yeah. like, even sort of the, I don't know who plays his kids, but that one particularly when his son, like, comes across Mads oh. after he's, like, fucking fallen over on the bike. And yeah. he has to, like, drag him back home. Like, this was a great movie that, like, displays, like, because obviously with, like, drunk acting and sort of, like, when movies are about alcohol, it tends to be like Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas, where it's very performative. It's very much about, like, the misery of drinking versus, like, capturing instead, like, a much more relatable kind of low state makes it a lot... That's a way better PSA against drinking to me than, like, any, like, oh, you're gonna, like, always fucking, like, crash your car if you have one sip of alcohol before sure, you drive, exactly. anything like that, right? Versus, this is, like, I don't know, you're gonna look like a fucking idiot, and everyone's gonna know you're an idiot, <laughs> and that's, like, and so awful. <laughs> and, like, he really captures in that scene where he, like, his son, like, drags him to their house, like, this is gonna sound like I'm bragging here, but, like, I don't really get hung over when I drink, like, to be honest, like, I, I just don't really, doesn't happen to me. <laughs> I get, like, a mild headache, and then I just, like, have, like, I eat something, and I'm fine. But, like, him in that, in that like, the very few times, I've been, like, hungover, like, once or twice where I had, like, a, a lot to drink. And he captures, like, one, like, that thing of, like, you wake up and you're still kind of drunk a bit. And, like, that's when him and his wife have that really big argument where he, like, throws, like, the dishes, I I, I believe. But also just how, like exhausted and like drained of like life he is after the after drinking where he just looks dead and like it just really captures that like really well to me that factor where it's just it's embarrassing to be as drunk as you are especially when like you're a youth still brian in terms of the hangovers (sighs) get ready that happens a lot more (laughs) as you get even a little bit older i don't know who i'm talking about but um but as, when these guys are all, like, what, their median age is, like, 42. Yeah, like something like that. They're all just, like, when you get that drunk at that age, this isn't charming. Sure. At all. Right. Right now. Right. <laughs> well, because we see, like, you know, with the the kids, like, we like it's very fun. It's, and it's, like, you know, a party. It's very, like, jovial and everything. And, yeah, having that contrasted with, like, these guys is such a great, like... It, it, it's a great element of this movie and i think it, it's it's vinterberg like he does a, a, all that stuff really well like speaking of just contrast like kursk is a movie that has a really great like contrasting beginning and end scenes that really like fit like bookend well together and yeah he's, he's just really great at that kind of stuff and I, yeah i love it i just remembered the scene this is when they're on their kind of like final like bender when they're in the grocery store <laughs> Which is one of the most just like, oh my god, what are you doing? Like scenes where they're like looking for the cod and they're just like knocking everything over. Like that also is just a, just what a nightmare to have to like deal with those people. <laughs> but you know, we're kind of dancing around, Brian. Like your background right now is a, is a shot from the ending. We want to probably talk about that extensively. So before yeah. we get to that, any other stuff... About uh, another round we haven't really talked about. You want to shout out? Um, well, this is to do with, not with the movie itself, but with the the title, which it's called another round. The original title in in Danish is uh, "druk," which I looked yes. it up and is a term in Denmark that means binge drinking. Which right. I just think that that's a great 
title. Um, I'm really inter- I, I I'm becoming more interested in like looking up what the original title of movies were in like their native land. But no, yeah, I don't know. What about you? You got anything else besides besides the ending? Um, well, I mean, we should probably talk about like one element of this movie we haven't really talked about is kind of uh what unfortunately happened during the production of it. Venturberg, oh, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you're unaware, um, Thomas Venturberg uh had a daughter. Uh, named Ida, who was slated to play Mickelson's daughter in the movie, which that got changed to two boys. Uh, because uh, four days into filming, uh, Ida was tragically killed in a car accident at, like, 19. So, obviously that really affected the movie, and kind of, it, you know, it became more of, like, a life-affirming thing by the end of it. And I think that's interesting, especially considering, like, kind of this mixed bag we're talking about. I didn't know that backstory going into Another Round the first time, but seeing it again, knowing that, like that actual production element of it, uh, which I don't think I found until around the time of the Oscars, it feels a lot more like a movie about somebody kind of mourning, truly. Uh, yeah. Not just like an actual person, but just like life in general at this point. Yeah, I think the 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 kind of, not twist, but the kind of turn this movie takes of like, even for like the first two thirds, or like you said, like it's a a balance of like, this is fun, this is jovial, but also you're getting a real sense of, like, these guys being very depressed and very, like, you know, dejected. And wanting to shut out life around them. Right, right. And, like, but the kind of turn that this takes in, like, the last act of, like, really hammering, like, the the tragedy and the kind of the, 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 the more upsetting elements of the movie is, yeah, it's very palpable. And I... I I, I remember when he, I think when he won, uh, when he won the Oscar, he gave like a really, really beautiful speech, like about like mentioning his daughter and everything. Which yeah. Is, but yeah, I mean, that element is very much there, especially in that last act. And it, it doesn't feel like it, it is, it is like a last minute correction, like in the script or anything like that. It feels of like a very natural progression of like where this is going and what the movie is trying to say. And it is weirdly life-affirming, even though it is still a yeah. very depressing movie about, like, sad boys. <laughs> right. No, exactly. I think, yeah, especially all the stuff with the kids. Like, I think I love all of the the kid actors. Not, I mean, not kid. They're all, like, what, 17, 18? Like teenagers, right? yeah. Right. They're all, like, late teenagers. Um, and, you know, the whole thing is, like, it, this is taking place over the course of, like, the post-Christmas through like graduation in may yeah kind of period and it does such an interesting job of like conveying you know that these kids are like you know interacting with these adults and they feel like you know initially very distant then become like the role models almost after a certain point and then like all this stuff with larson dying which we haven't really mentioned but uh you know which is that's so beautifully done too with like him like taking his dog out to the pier getting on the boat, putting on the life jacket. He, like, starts to put it on, and then, like, at a certain point, you can see him just go, like, eh, fuck it, and just, like, throws it on the ground. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I love the way it's handled of, like, we don't see his death. We don't see his, like, body or anything. We just see, like, him on the boat, and then cut back to it, and then it's just the dog on the boat. And it's so, yeah, it's so tragic. And yet it doesn't feel like it is doing the thing that you can feel another a, a lesser movie do of, like, making it this like big dramatic moment or whatever this big tragic moment where one of the characters dies it's very like life it it doesn't really try to 
dramatize it in any in any way i don't think um but yeah i mean and i i love one of the i just i just thought about this but like one of the scenes earlier where they're like on one of their like benders at night and they're like talking about like teaching and they're like oh well these kids are they'll they'll remember us like when they leave and then another one's just like no they'll forget us like the moment they walk out of those doors and then like the shot just like holds on them for just sitting there for for a minute i don't know i mean i guess this is us getting into a bit of a bit of the ending here but like the ending is kind of not that really like it is this like coming together moment of like the teachers and and the students having like this really like this like celebration this like party uh which is so so great the ending of this movie this this kind of last like scene or two might be one of my favorite i've seen in like years like even like i I had thought about it like so often like in in the past couple of years after i saw it and it's just firmly established itself as like one of the great endings of the 2020s very early in that run (laughs) yes for sure yes and just i mean the song like the what a life song uh which is not a song. I, I I don't think it's made for this movie, but it was the way it's used in this movie. I think is really really perfect. It's a perfect song because it is like this perfect like Euro pop song that you would absolutely like expect these like teenagers to be listening to. And like if you actually listen to the song, it is is a very like modern song with all these like weird like hip hop like ad libs and whatever. And it's like kind of trashy, like it's a trashy pop song, but it is so much fun. And it really captures, like, the essence of, like, that final scene, I think. If you had told me going into another round that, like, it would be this interesting, complex meditation on humans' relationship to alcohol, and then also told me it ends like the ending of Caddyshack, I would have scoffed at you. But that's kind of what I love about this ending, is that it's just, like, after, like, you know, we had, like, our laughs, we had our tears... We went through so much after all this, and just the buildup of it where it's like, after obviously the funeral, when they go to like the one restaurant, they're like, nah, fuck, let's go to this other place. That's like over by the pier. And they go there, and they have like a really, like, what looks like a great lunch, truly. Like a a wonderful, like sunny afternoon lunch. And then those kids come in those party buses, and then they see, and I love the fact that the moment they see like Mads and all them, they're just like, oh shit! Yeah! You're all here, and then yeah, just the all the dancing, so much great. Mads in particular, his whole thing, like every move, I'm just like, this is done perfectly. You could, you're the only person who could look this great doing this dumb dancing. Like the dancing is so like silly and like yes. dumb, and it, it's very much like if I saw like I don't know my uncle like dancing like that, it would be like, oh god, like can we can we get out of here? Like you know, but because it's Mads Mikkelsen who is just one of our great actors, I think. It it is so incredible. And it's such a great like physical like performance there where he's just really like letting everything loose. And oh, we, we should also kinda of mention like this is in but this is cut in between like uh we talked about like the, the the like lunch scene he has with his wife. They're kind of separated at that point. And then right. uh right before the kind of dance sequence they're kinda of texting. Which that also is great, like the way that they're handling the text. That's part of the great buildup the... of all this, yeah. This yeah. is all going on. And most of the intertitles, and like Mads looking down, intertitle, Mads kind of like smiling a bit more. Like he <laughs> kind of grinches his way to a giant smile. <laughs> just particularly when it's just like, I miss you too, mm-hmm. a lot. 
the a lot yeah. is like so perfect. It's once it was just a, that igniting Mads into like his dance is like perfect. One of the great sort of cinematic text chains. Yeah, I think this whole ending just feels it feels so cathartic. Like I feel like we often think of cathartic endings as like. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, like you know, the ending of Midsummer is a very popular one for the from like the past few years, where it's a very cathartic ending, but it's very violent. And I feel like a lot of endings people view cathartic are very like violent endings, where like someone gets their revenge or whatever. But this just feels like a cathartic ending in that it is like someone really like just letting loose. It captures so much in like in just a dance, right? Like, it reminds me of, like, the ending of um, Claire Denis' uh, Boutravai, which has a, a great dancing ending. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but, like, it's a, no. a oh, incredible, like, person dances at the end. Um, I think I've seen this clip. I have just not seen this whole movie. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I, I, what an ending. <laughs> and especially down to, like, your background is really the freeze-frame ending. This movie yes. makes a freeze-frame ending work, something that is often parodied about, like, 80s comedies and shit, where it's just, like, high-five, uh, then we go to the credits and everything of it, but it's just, it, it does it so well. Like like I said, so much of this feels like it would be the ending of, like, a very crass American comedy. But then, mm-hmm. like, as it's done here, it's like you mentioned, it's, like, very life-affirming, it's very jovial, even just, like, how the other guys are dancing, where they're dancing more like dads, <laughs> kind of deal, like, behind Mickelson. <laughs> it's, like, so wonderful in the contrast. And I love the fact that when we see them initially, like, at this funeral, they all do just look, like, healthier than they did previously. They don't look as, like, right. sluggish and bloated. And it feels just like, yeah, you know, we've really cleaned ourselves up, so now we can fucking just have fun using alcohol as, like, a solid, you know, social lubricant as it should be used. I don't know, when Mads just kind of, like, gets into it, a great, just, like, ah, oh, fuck it, like, like great, just, like, release ending and just, like, the way, I don't know, the way it's shot is so great, too, where it's all these, like, handheld cameras. It's this handheld camera that's just going, like, in between, like, people and, like, around people. It's free-floating kind of thing. And you feel like you're dancing with Mads and his friends, and you know what? Who wouldn't amongst us want to do such a thing? Absolutely. I mean, oh God, I'm, I'm watching it again right now as we speak. And just, like, <laughs> the way he jumps over the bench and just, like, lands there is so incredible. And I just... Look, he, he this is a, a really great performance for all the things that we've mentioned of like it's a very dramatic performance, it's a very like nuanced performance. But this just ending of just it, it is a great showcase for Mads Mikkelsen and just him being incredibly compelling and incredibly just like I, I imagine if someone had has like watched this movie and did not know about Mads Mikkelsen, like you would fall in love with him like forever. Because this yeah. ending is just so incredible and he he gives like every he's his all in this ending yeah i i also i love the shot where like they're like pouring champagne on him and he's like running through the champagne yes as as it's like pouring on him it's yeah it's just so incredible um what would you say is your favorite specific dance move that he does in this ending oh man i love (sighs) idea i love all i know i love all of it i don't know let me let me, let me rewind me, it one more time. <laughs> yeah, you go. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's definitely, it's the bit where um, he's, like, kind of moving with his drink in his hand like this. That's, that might Back be and forth yeah. with his legs. Especially because, like, that feels the most, like, 
you know, that, that kind of thing. Like, I've gotten to that kind of drunk a point where I feel like my limbs are a bit looser and longer. Yes. And yes. they actually are. And it's just like, and he just pulls it off so fucking well. Like, a move anyone else would look dumb doing like that. Or the bit where he, like, claps his hands and then shimmies. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. The thing, and I think, I think about it, I love about this, like, dance sequence at the end is how much it feels very loose. Right? And obviously it's him kind of drunk acting a bit. But, like, there's such an effortless quality to this like dancing that i think like I, I don't know i feel like another actor would would try to make it more like pop in a way but this just feels truly like seamless like a seamless just like dance just celebrating life and just kind of like finally i don't know like not like wanting to get back to your life which is such a like beautiful thing that i think this movie does and yeah the, the freeze frame at the end is so great of him, him diving into like the harbor <laughs> it's just yeah it's so great an ending that literally could have just had rodney dangerfield come out and say hey everybody we're all gonna get laid and then the ending would happen it wouldn't be that different <laughs> oh man god it is one of those endings though that i just constantly will just watch on youtube just like that clip yes um and I, I played the game where I I love the song, obviously. I agree with everything you said about the song. But at the same time, it goes over, like, so many other fucking, like, songs. At the yeah. same time, it's just, like, <laughs> it's so universal. Just, like... Because I think because the choreography, like we mentioned, is so clearly, like... It, it's there. There definitely was, like, this sort of plan out. But it feels like he's just improvising. Because it's right. so natural. <laughs> yeah. It, it feels like he's improvising, and yet it feels like it is, like, this obviously because of there's so many camera movements and everything like it's clearly like orchestrated but yeah there's that there effortlessness that i just think is so is so wonderful i love mads mickelson so much <laughs> i just think he's so great it it really makes me even like feel more upset when mads is in hollywood movies and more often than not they just use his face it's just like we got the guy for like his sure. mug. well that's like doctor strange Right, Doctor Strange 100% is that, even to a certain degree Indiana Jones, but I think he has fun, like, a bit that I still think about is when, at one point he says, like, I'm not going back to Alabama, yes. <laughs> which yes. is, like, the best line reading of that whole movie. In his very, like, Danish accent. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I love, like, he's great in Rogue One, I think, like, I think he's very good in that movie and is very, very hot, but also very just... One of the best scenes in that movie is the opening bit between, like, the face-off between him and Mendelssohn. It's, like, so well done. Two of my favorite boys in this entire, in in all of Of Hollywood. (laughs) When's Mendelssohn gonna do his drunken (laughs) movie? God, I love Ben Mendelssohn so much. And he also just does, like, a lot of garbage. Like, no offense, but he's, like, you know, he got caught up in the Marvel thing. And, like, you know, he was in that Robin Hood movie. Remember that? Oof. He's my... F- I know we disagree on this movie, but he's easily my favorite thing about Ready Player One. Oh, he's very good on Ready Player One. Right. Especially performing, like, my dream. Honestly, I want to put this out more into the universe. I've said this elsewhere, but I really want Ben Mendelsohn to play Vince McMahon in a WWE movie. Because <laughs> that's basically what his performance in fucking Ready Player One is. He's basically <laughs> playing Vince McMahon. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Oh, man. Yeah, I have a very complicated relationship with that movie for obvious reasons, but I, oh, well, I ultimately no. do like... But I, is there a lot going into that? <laughs> yeah, but I do like that movie. Um, but um, 
I, I mean, though, like the thing about Matt to get back to like Mads for a second, like I, what I like when I love when he pops up in Hollywood movies because like he, he can do it and he's very good. Like, you know, I would not say he's bad in Doctor Strange by any means. It is like, yeah, that the movie just kind of wants to use him for him, not really give him a lot to do. But I think he works in like in Casino Royale. I think he's really, really great. And, you know, he's even great in like um, that fucking that movie with um, where Willem Dafoe plays uh, Vincent Van Gogh. Oh, at Attorney's like, Gate? Yes, yes. He's very good in that. He has like one scene. Um, I think he's like the priest. And I've never seen the Pusher movies, but I, I feel like I should now even more since we're kind of talking about Mads. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely the Refn is interesting, especially have you ever seen Bahala Rising? I haven't. That was another one I also wanted to see. Which... That movie is like, it's so simple, but it's also, it's one of these like, you know, it's a Viking gory epic that's 93 minutes long. Um, sure. And it's mostly just Mac Mickelson fucking being like a Viking warrior dude who just destroys people. Hell yeah. What more do you want out of cinema? Destroy me, Mads. Um... <laughs> Step on me, Mads. <laughs> yes. <sighs> No, but I, I love when he pops up in Hollywood movies because he's he's great and I just love whenever like whenever he does pop up in something, there are people who like are not like freaks like us where we kinda like, you know, we watch a bunch of movies and who are like, Who is that guy? He is like really like you know, he's so striking that like I love him in, in that stuff. I love him in like small movies like this and I love Yeah, I, I just love everything he does. He's he's great. Um Put him in Death Stranding to Kojima. Uh, I think he. I, I don't remember what happens to him at the end of that game. That's a. It's a weird game, but um. <laughs> Trivia. That was the game that I got right before my PS4 conked out. I literally had the game, and then I was trying to play it, and my my PS4 has this problem where like it'll just. I can never play anything with the disc because it'll eject out. Sure. Mm -hmm. That problem that. I tried fixing it. I did eject button and the power button at the same time multiple times. It doesn't work after a certain point, guys. Well, look, I mean, if it's any incentive, I think he appears in the beginning of the game in, like, these, like, POV flashbacks. Many of them are him looking at you going, like, you're from the perspective of, this is very complicated, and it's, I swear it makes sense in the game, of a baby in a pod, and he's going, he's, like, going, like, my baby... And he's like, you know, holding you in his arms like this, and it's it, it, it's it's great. It's a great incentive enough to play that game. But um, <laughs> in conclusion, we want Mads to be our daddy. Absolutely, that's exactly what we all want. At the end of the day, that's what we all want. Um, but you know what? Let's uh, let's wrap up on another round. Brian, go ahead. Your final thoughts on another round. Um, I I love this movie so much. Um, and I, I'm I'm glad that we discussed it. I think because it is, of course, like. I just feel like a lot of those movies from 2020, like some of them I just don't think about that often anymore, but some of them I, I think about and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a really great movie. And I just like my, you know, my pandemic brain, like I just completely like, you know, all of like the, to, like to mention other one, like the small acts movies came out in 2020 and like the empty man, like just all these like great movies that are kind of like not lost to time, but just lost to this like, weird point in time where everyone was just you know whatever but um i i think this movie's I, i'm also just glad because i got to really explore more of vinterberg's filmography i think he's really great at just 
character drama and bringing you into people's lives and just showcasing how their what their lives are like and i think that that's such an interesting uh an interesting way that he explores that and i i don't know i i i just really love this movie and how it ex- it explores just all of the ideas of alcohol and you know like you said like the relationship between people and alcohol but also just just toxic masculinity sad dejected men but it again wraps it up in this very life-affirming package which i was not expecting this movie to end in a very life-affirming way and for it to just make me like want to dance like mads mickelson on a on a bench (laughs) but yeah I, i love it i love it even more having seen it again um you know i think mads mickelson it's one of the best performances i've seen in a in in the 2020s so far i think and yeah i just always he's one of those actors where i will watch almost anything he is in even if it looks like shitty uh like that like po- polar do you remember that movie polar where he has like a like a eye yes patch? i've heard it's yes. like terrible but i kind of want to see it for him because he is just immensely compelling and like he really can do you know a lot i mean he can do so much where he can be like we mentioned menacing and really scary in something like hannibal and he can be really charming and hot in everything he's in (laughs) or he can be (laughs) including hannibal including hannibal of course (laughs) um because they're gay that's the thing of the show come on um (laughs) That sounds like a real fanable take right there. Remember when that yes. term existed? Yes. But like like you mentioned, like this kind of gives, like another round gives like every flavor of Mads. And I think that that's a really great point where he is just very good at com- at playing these characters that are very like uh, internal, right? And they're just mm-hmm. in their heads. They're not, you know, he's not very it's funny that you evoked like Nicolas Cage because they're so different, right? Nicolas Cage is like a very big actor and Mads is not really that. I mean, he's very nuanced. He's very subtle. There, there's just so much about him that I, I love. And um, yeah, I, I love, I love this movie and I could talk about it even more for hours because I just, I think it's great, but I will, I will leave it there. Um, yeah, what about you, Thomas? I mean, I agree with everything you said. I love this movie. I think it's it's definitely one of the better movies of like this weird sort of new period that we talk about on the show mm-hmm. um, uh, from 2020 forward. And I think what's um, what's so fascinating about it is, like we mentioned, like it has such weird tonal shifts and it makes, you know, has incredibly funny moments. Like, there's just a bit I love where um, uh, Mangus um, is like, they're all at that teacher conference where initially we find, like, we found some alcohol, and we think it might be the children are sewing this away, because they banned alcohol at the start of this school period. And just the shot of him where he's, like, covering his mouth, just like, oh. Where he's like, ugh, he's like, he's like oh, shit, is it, like, every cough? Right, but he's yeah. hiding it with his hands. He's like, oh. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. like, you can have moments like that, but then also really, like, devastating bits. Like, the bit at um, uh, Thomas Bo Larson's funeral where the kids sing... Oh like my a, gosh, yes. I. <sighs> what, what a wonderfully, beautifully, like, sad moment. I think, honestly, the reason I, I think I have sort of more of this, like, affection for this movie is 
I'm going to get a bit personal here. I'm not going to go into extreme detail. Um, a friend of mine who I knew from college uh, had a drinking problem. Uh, you know, I, I hung out so much with them. They were one of my dearest friends. But there were points where they had really bad nights that I was privy to, where I had a couple drinks and they had a bit too many. And that was a constant struggle with them to the degree that they died very young. You know, they just they went out drinking and there was a point where they didn't come back. And I feel like this movie does such a great job of kind of capturing the weird mixed feeling I have with alcohol because of my relationship with that person, where I, I, I do have that kind of, like, I've seen how far alcohol can go, and I can see how it could, you know, take somebody I truly, like, love dearly. But at the same time, I have a lot of fun memories of getting drunk with right. them. It's, yeah. I have all, because we were, you know, friends in college this whole time so we had a lot of fun memories of us doing just dumb shit while we were drinking or even post-college one of my favorite memories of that person was when we saw like rogue one and then we got drunk and like played cards and sang dumb songs together <laughs> that kind of thing so i think it, it's a movie that captures really that kind of you know that mixed feeling of just like alcohol because it's this tool this social lubricant um it can be very beneficial and it can be very like detrimental completely to you it's you know just how you how you have that relationship with this thing that really matters. And I think this movie captures that wonderfully all the way down to like, it's fucking, like I said, one of the great endings Absolutely. of movies oh, yeah. in recent memory. Truly. The main reason I would recommend this to anybody, especially if you have sort of an issue, even if you have an issue with, you know, foreign films, the subtitles, this like transcends any language barrier. 10 inch barrier, man. I think, yes. I think about that all the time. Um, no. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think I would, I would kind of say this is a, a very good uh, kind of first foreign film for for some people. I mean, despite kind of it being a bit upsetting, I think it's like a very good, just dramatic film as a whole. And like, of course, like all the, the themes are universal and everything, all of that stuff. But I think like, yeah, it is just a great story and a great, like just the way it's told is really great. Um, also, you reminded me of a scene we didn't talk about, but where the speaking of the the kid with the glasses, where he like holds his hand when they're like doing like I forget what they're doing, but he holds the uh, Tommy's like hand, and yes. it is just such a fucking oh, it just gets that moment gets me so much. Um, but what an ending! I I literally every time I have watched this movie, I watched the ending like three times, where I just like rewound it like one more time. Let's go. Let's just watch it one more time. Um, you you watch it a couple times, and then you're like, I should watch this after with a drink. So you watch it a couple times sure. while you drank that drink. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, I think we're we're done talking about another round. Well, the the bar's closed on another round. Yeah, last round. We safely say well, last well last round because of course we got to do our segment that we do every single episode between the lines.
So, Between the Lines is a segment where Brian and I uh, recommend another film that's sort of related to the movie that we're talking about in some way, or maybe could be an alternate pick for like an end for new kind of thing. So, Brian, you go ahead and go first. What is uh, your pick for Between the Lines this week? Yes, I, I wanted to go with another kind of another international film uh, that also won at the Oscars uh, from the next year. And I am picking Drive My Car from uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi, uh, which is based off a uh, Haruki Murakami book. And it is a film about a theater director who his wife tragically passes away very suddenly. And he is also putting on a production of Uncle Vanya at the same time. That's all I'll say, actually, because I think this is a masterpiece. And I think this is one of the great films of the decade i think it, it will definitely be in that discussion it is three hours long <laughs> but yes. it is so compelling and so beautiful and i i think everything about this movie is so heartbreaking and yet kind of life-affirming in, in a similar way to another round where um he 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 gets to uh, where he's doing the theater production and he ha he is told that he cannot drive his car and someone else will drive him back and forth from uh, his residence to the, the theater. And it, it just reveals itself as a, a genuinely great film about grief. And I know that that, like I said that and it sounds like, you know, everyone's eye like rolling their eyes, but like three hour grief movie, three hour grief. That's what they're all doing at home. <laughs> this movie does not feel like three hours to me, really. It, I mean, obviously it is, it is long. It is a very long movie. It is pretty slow, I would say, but I think once you become immersed in it, it just goes and it is a really beautiful movie. Um, the way that this movie is shot I think is just unbelievable where there are these like really wonderful ways that like he is shooting the driving like, and it's not like he's shooting it like an action scene, but it's just these like really wide shots and just the car, which is this incredible, incredible car. It's a red uh, Saab turbo 900. Uh, if any, if you don't know what the, the car looks like, look it up. It's just a really incredible looking car, like from a visual standpoint Yes. And it looks incredible. I think it's a really great movie about not just grief, but also just the creative process and art and, you know, art meeting, meeting life and just balancing those two things, but also great vibes, weirdly enough. Like there's a <laughs> wonderful scene where people, two people just smoke cigarettes um, outside of like a sunroof. Yeah. And it is just so incredible. Um, and also has a lot of really funny moments as well. Like, I, I, I love, there's a scene at a dinner, which I really love, which is great. Um, but um, anyways, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I really love this movie. It is a movie I, I saw in theaters and I just thought, like, wow, that's really great. And I have just kept on thinking about it for the past few years. And in the way that it truly does cope with the idea of grief in a way that I've just, 
it doesn't hit as hard for me in other movies as this. Like, this really hit hard for me in a way I just wasn't expecting and in a way that I think is just absolutely incredible. If I'm being a bit vague here, I think I, I, I would love the movie to just speak for itself because it is just an incredible movie. Um, and I think that everyone should see it. And, um, you know, it's currently streaming on Max, which I'll be honest, feels a bit sacrilegious watching it. Like I was, I was a bit disgusted with myself watching this. Getting through that (laughs) ugly ass interface to get to drive my car. Right. Just watching this like incredibly moving, like masterpiece on like Max. To be fair, it was HBO Max at the time. That is true. That was still HBO Max. It was, it was still in the Halcyon days. People forget back in... 2022 when hbo max was a really good streaming service it was it was one of the oh my god one of the best streaming service and like a a great like interface and like just oh god max is such a piece of shit um (laughs) but please do not be deterred this movie is absolutely incredible some incredible performances that are just so human and so uh, i i don't know like this movie really cuts deep for me in a way that I, I, I was not expecting and in a way that I don't really connect with. Like I don't connect with movies about grief as, as much personally, but this is one of the ones that I think just really stuck with me. Um, has a great ending, great music as well. Uh, Drive My Car, also a great Beatles song, which completely unrelated, the two. Come but, on, um, baby, drive my car. Yeah. Beep, 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 beep. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yes, have you seen this movie? Have you seen Drive My Car? I've seen Drive My Car, and I like Drive My Car. Okay. I don't love Drive My Car, but then again, I do have the weird thing where I was going to see in a theater, at, at an art theater in Michigan when I was visiting Adam, former host of Devil Edge Devil Bill, um, and then I found out like up in Michigan uh, that like that place is located in downtown Detroit, where a shooting had happened a week prior. Oh. So it was like, how about I don't do that? And then I watched it on HBO Max. Um, so it might not have been Alrighty. the most ideal circumstances. I made sure you're like, I had my phone off. I was like, I'm really going to get sucked into this. And I quite wasn't, but I would still be willing to give another shot. I still liked it. I agree with you. The cigarette shot in particular, I do think about a lot. That's a beautiful shot. It's an incredibly well-directed movie. Um, in fairness, that was the Oscars of worst person in the world, Right. I believe so. Right, it was in competition, I believe, Let with me... Drive My Car. Yes, we had that yes. uh, Flea, that, like, the animated film, uh, The Hand of God, the Paolo Sorrentino movie, and then a movie called Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, which I have not heard about, but I'm glad that it was nominated for Best International Film. I would still say my favorite's probably Worst Person in the World, but I still liked Drive oh, yeah. My Car. I, for me, at least, they're very close to each other. I think those mm-hmm. are both some of the best films of the decade so far that's actually now that you mention it that's a bonus recommendation what's the worst person in the world because i wonderful movie. Beautiful yes movie. one day we will talk about uh joachim trier who is one of my top three directors working today a movie that made me feel uncomfortably seen i <laughs> a quick story here i saw that movie <laughs> mo- most of the times i see movies i see them like weekday in like the daytime so like there's not a lot of people there and, like, if it is, it's, like, old people, you know, or whatever. I, I saw The Worst Person in the World by myself in the theater. And I was so happy that I was the only one because I was bawling for the entire runtime. <laughs> so I was really happy that I was the only one in the theater. I'm going to go ahead and do my pick now. 
And uh, my pick is, uh, in a similar vein, um, a 2020 Mads Mikkelsen starring Danish film uh, that I literally finished right before we started recording this podcast. It's called Riders of Justice from a director, Anders Thomas Jensen. And basically, uh, it's this movie uh, in which we follow Mads, who is this guy who at the very beginning, he is a soldier who's uh, served in Afghanistan and he's coming back home while his uh, wife and his daughter are uh, taking the train uh, to go see him you know, return. A horrible accident happens on this train, leaving the mother dead and the daughter alive, but still very shaken. And um, one of the other people who was on that train, who we initially kind of follow at the opening part of the movie, puts everything down into like a form of statistics. So, yeah, at a certain point, this guy who was on the train, who's a statistics guy, comes over to Mads' house with some of his buddies who also work. Like, one of them is the facial analyst guy, and one of them uh, is, like, a hacker who can, like, hack into things. Um, and uh, they're all just like, hey, you know what? Um, we're bringing this up. Like, we, it might have been a hit because the other person who was on this train was, like, this leader of the biker gang, the titular Riders of Justice. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so it becomes this revenge movie a bit, but also in the process, what I love about this movie, because it's also a comedy, strangely, despite how, like, hmm. dark and sort of death-wishy this all sounds, there's a great sort of, like, dude's rock quality to this movie as well. Yes. Because our four-pack of these great Danish lads, it's just so charming to see them all, like, they're very different personalities, and they all come together, and they all kind of, like, try and disguise the fact that they're doing this from Mads' uh, daughter, particularly, like, the, the one guy who basically acts as, like, oh, he lies and says, like, oh, I'm a psychologist. Um, because the daughter is having these issues where it's, like, oh, Mads, my dad is, like, getting too deep into, like, his violence because of his soldier past and all this other stuff. He's had a history of violent tendencies. And so uh, he's, she's, like, oh, you're actually seeing an analyst. That's great. But then that guy tries to, like, give her analysis about just, like, oh, how she's dealing with death and stuff like that. So it's this weird, like kind of comedic but also very unsettling kind of angle to all of this and uh i think there's some great action sequences uh there's i, I want to really shout out my particular favorite of the ensemble who isn't mad so obviously look mads is great in this movie he has like a big beard um Hell yeah and he's mostly bald as well the other guy besides mads who i love is a uh, nicholas bro who was also in warhorse the facial analyst guy and he's kind of like a bigger dude um who has like this great like mustache uh, you wouldn't assume anything about him, but he ends up being kind of good with a gun. There's a whole scene where, like, he puts together a gun very quickly. It's like, I just like assembling things. <laughs> and he's just, like, really fucking good at it somehow. Um, but, and he has, like, so many great moments throughout the whole movie. But, yeah, uh, Riders of Justice. It's on Hulu as well. You can watch another round and watch Riders of Justice. It's a great Mads double feature. Okay. I have not, yeah, I have not seen this movie. Um, I remember when it came out, and I remember just, again, it was a movie where I was like, I don't know anything about it, but Mads is in it, so I will. I I would like to see it, and I just I never did. Um, but I am looking at the cast list here, and I'm, one of the guys of Lars Brigman has worked on a few of uh, Thomas Vinterberg's films. He was in Celebration and in and in Kursk, so that's interesting. Another interesting connection. Um, yeah, he's very good in the movie as well. He plays the guy who's kind of like the the hacker guy. Uh, oh, he's I can see that. He's, he does a wonderful job at it, yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody, Brian, uh, so they can add to their watch lists and whatnot. Uh, yes, I had Ryusuke Hamaguchi's 2021 film, one of his 2021 films he released 
two films in 2021, but uh, Drive My Car. <laughs> and uh, I had the other 2020 Danish film starring Mad Mickelson you can now watch on Hulu, uh, Riders <laughs> of Justice. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up here uh, and just do uh, our exit. Uh, but we got a few people to thank before we head out of here, Brian. Uh, we got to thank Burial Grid for our music. Purchase this music at burialgrid.com. Thanks to Michelle Kyle for our artwork. Uh, find her at mishkyle96. Uh, we also want to thank our patrons, patreon.com slash cinema, number two letter, where for just $1 a month, you all get to uh, vote for individual episode, you know, topics out there uh, that we'll cover for the, f- the season. And uh, also listen to bonus podcasts. Like, we would have already put out our The Critic Retrospective fairly recently. Also, our, our big review roundup for uh, January of 2023 um where you know we talked about a lot of the newer releases and also uh near the um the end of february our big bonus podcast for that will be our awards show the los awards which stands for of course letters of cinematic (laughs) excellence of course (laughs) Uh, an acronym that we settled on because we couldn't think of anything else yeah Yeah, you guys come up with something better (laughs) (laughs) we kept the acronym thing that was the important thing and you know speaking of the los awards i should mention uh the day after this episode comes out so on wednesday february 7th there will be a call to action post uh for all the cineast patrons out there basically what we're asking for is just your top five movies from 2023 that you all saw and we'll uh, tabulate based on the top fives that we get uh the top three that are most recurring and then we'll have a poll come out in which uh, patrons will get to vote on the the Cineast Choice Award for the Los Awards. We're calling it the Cineast Choice Award uh, for, you know, what you all declare to be the best movie 2023. So that call to action post will come out. And I will just ask once again for your top fives to be posted in the comments. And uh, then, yeah, we'll put get together a poll probably the, the week after. And you all get to vote on... Well, wins the Cineus Choice Los Award. Just thank you all once again, just for that one dollar. It really helps out the show when you become Cineus patrons. That's our nickname for you, Cineus, the true cinema lovers out there, for just one dollar a month. Um, but uh, you can find us, speaking of uh, cinema number two letter, that's our social handle on places like Instagram, Blue Sky, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all the great places that you love to be at that makes society a better place really right truly yes um and uh, you can find me on twitter and letterboxes at not the who's tommy and i also do some writing at uh, mariannithomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com which i just want to shout out um i produce the show film cred review that's on film cred's patreon uh for one dollar you can listen to that and the other great stuff that they have on that patreon but i was the guest and i came from behind the mic um to talk with hiel Peralta, um, about uh, January movies. Ooh. So we just kind of go through, kind of inspired by The Beekeeper, truly. A movie I still can't stop thinking about. Oi. Oi. Beekeeper. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so uh, you can listen to that. Hi, and I had a fun time discussing that, and also some news, like the SAG nomination and stuff like that. Fun time. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm also still kind of on Twitter. You can follow me at... Uh, B-R-Y-A-N-D-R-A-D-E and the number three. 
Uh, or you can follow me on Letterboxd, where I'm much more active, and I'm I just made a, a Thomas Vinterberg list, so you can see my my ranking for for his films, the ones that I've seen at least, and uh, yeah, follow me on there. And you know what? Just shout out also on my letterbox. You can see my Mads Mikkelsen ranked list, Ooh. which I recently created. That's a hot list. It's so hot. <laughs> it truly just, I, I had to look away after I finished it. I couldn't stare too long into its beautiful eyes. But uh, for more of us, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, you know, whatever platform you get your podcasts on. Uh, if you're listening on Talk Film Society, our great network, uh, why not listen to all the other great shows that are on the network, uh, like the Talk Film Society podcast, which we were recently on. Uh, Brian and I had a lot of fun. And uh, you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for, you know, all the episodes of Cinema to the Letters so far and the old Double Edge, Double Bill stuff. Bunch of stuff you can uh, listen to on there. And, uh, you know, if you can't support us on the Patreon, that's cool. Money can be tight for some people. But the free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around to give us more visibility. To give us more, you know, audio drinking buddies. Make us audio (laughs) drinking buddies for other people. You know, podcasting is like you're hanging out parasocially with people you're not in a room with. And we'll all have a drink. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Cheers to you, Jeffrey. That's right, all you Jeffreys. I mean, all of you. God, one person listening was Jeffreys. is like, yes! <laughs> Cracking open a cold one. Uh, well, on that note, Brian, we should at least tease our next episode. Uh, in our rotation, we're hitting the E for Egregious. And we're entering into completely uncharted territory for either of us, because we'll be covering the 1952 Best Picture winner, The Greatest Show on Earth, from Cecil B. DeMille, one of the more apparently infamous bad Best Picture winners, per reputation, at least. Yes, a movie I know absolutely nothing about, other than the clip I've seen in Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, which... Would, you, would lead me to believe that it's a masterpiece, but um, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> um, even Sammy Failman at a very young age, you know, you're easy to please at that point. Yes. All I know about this movie is like that bit, of course, the Spielberg lore, and also that Jimmy Stewart's in it, but like in a sort of, he's the ant. As oh, like, okay. apparently, I think he plays like a clown at the circus. This all sounds great to me. And Jimmy yep. Stewart, he's a clown, I'm in. All, I can't wait to watch all two and a half hours of it. It's yeah. a very long film, but which we'll talk about next time. But until then, everybody, you know what? Let's have a drink, Brian. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Let's get a drink. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>